0: Testament reading this morning is Psalm 130. I ask you to please turn with me to Psalm 130. Then we'll be going back to Romans chapter 7. And again, this is the soul that waits for the Lord. And we are so amazingly blessed by God that he doesn't count our sins against us, that he has forgiven us and he doesn't hold that against us. This is a song of ascent in the psalm when they were uh, going for the feast to Jerusalem. They would sing these psalms on their way to Jerusalem. And listen to Psalm 130. Out of the depths, the depths of my soul, the depths of my heart, you know, my, my inner being, I cry to you O Lord. O oh lord hear my voice let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy he just feels his his sin and his need for god and then verse 3 if you o oh lord should mark iniquities if you should mark our sins if you should hold those against us o oh lord who could stand and the answer is nobody but with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning, more than the watchman wait for the morning. And that's the the idea of, I'm just going to commentate just a little bit of that watchman in the middle of the night. You don't know when that enemy's coming because you can't see. So they're trying to stay awake and they're trying to make sure that they can see that, and they just love when the light comes, because now it's harder to hide when there's light. So he's like, I'm waiting for you, Lord, like a like a watchman waits for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I love that psalm. Praise God. It ties in with our sermon today. And I always want you guys to think about the connections. I don't always mention them, but I want you to see that connective tissue between what we read in the Old Testament to what we're preaching in the New. So Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, and this is the, the battle with sin. And get ready for round two today because we're going to be entering into that as well. I'm going to begin with 14, um, and Paul says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of flesh, I'm sold under sin, For I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good, so now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Again, um, and we're just going to really focus in on the on the last part, really from verse 21 to the end of the chapter this morning. Like I said, this is round two of that struggle with sin. And Paul talked about it last week, uh, the, the indwelling sin that Paul described to us. And so we unfolded that. If you didn't get an opportunity to hear the sermon last week, go back and check it out because the two really go together. Because this week... Uh, last week, he described that battle with sin. This week, he kind of explained it. He said, Where, where's this come from? What's going on in the inner man of the, the new Christian? And this is our ongoing battle with sin, and we need to understand that. It's, it's important that all of us are aware of that so we can head it off at the pass, so we can look to Christ, so we can battle in a in a way that we overcome in Christ Jesus. This is very important for us. Not on a just on a personal level in our own struggle with sin, but when we're lost in our sin, how helpful are we to others? What good are we to others when we're struggling or lost in our sin and just kind of doing our own thing? We're no good, really. We're not good. We're not able to do much for the kingdom when we're stuck there. So it's very important that we understand this. And by God's grace, do all we can to move forward. So, our ongoing battle—it's in—and we need to understand that there are two different laws or principles. That's what Paul talks about. He says, "Look, there's a law." There's, it's in verse, um, verse twenty. I find it to be a law or a principle. That word is also translated that when I want to do right, evil is right at hand. And then he talks about um, I delight in the law of God. He's speaking to the commandments at that point. But I see another. Uh, in my members a law waging war so he's kind of uh, just unfolded just a little bit there's that one place where he's talking about the law of god and that is the commandments the moral yeah. law but when he mentions law he's in, in the other in the other verses he's talking about um these principles these things that are taking place within our own hearts and lives okay and and he's using it like as a uh, an illustration for us a picture for us and you know what a law is a law is that which governs something right it, it governs we have the law think of the, the law of nature or the laws of nature I'm going to put it that way they are principles that govern the natural world the natural world obeys right the those laws so, for instance, gravity, right? You know, gravity, okay, it's going to come down. That, that's a law. It's obeyed by, that's what's going, so Paul's talking this spiritual way. Uniformity, right? We, we know those, those laws of nature. We count on it every day that the sun's going to rise. You know what I mean? In the east, set in the west, rotating on its axis. We have the seasons. It works in a law-like fashion. That's what Paul's saying here. Spiritually, first of all, Paul says, As a true Christian now, as one who really believes in Jesus Christ, who's been regenerated, who's been called, who's been converted, who is justified, who is born again. For that person, for those of us in Jesus Christ, there is a law. We have, and this is it, we have an authentic desire. You really do. If you're a Christian this morning, you have an authentic desire to be faithful to God. You want to be. We want to be so much. We want him to be obedient to his word. And we do delight, like Paul says, in the law of God. We love his word. We love his law. We want to live for him so badly. If you're, if you're a truly converted Christian, that is our deepest desire because he has placed that in our hearts. He's changed us. It doesn't come just from us. You know, so, so I know our cry. I know for me, it's like, Lord, I, I want I want to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind. I want to love my neighbor as myself fully, all the time. Not just sometime. all the time. That's my deepest desire. Now, that doesn't apply to the unbeliever. Just think back to before when you were converted. That does not apply to the unbeliever. Who, in the end, really doesn't truly care about obeying God. They might give lip service people when they're in trouble or if they're considering doing something really, you know, dastardly, they might, oh, what's God going to think about that? But really, they have no desire to obey or to please God in the decisions that they're making. You know what I mean? And you've been there. We have all been there before Jesus Christ. We didn't, how often did we consider God in thinking about what we were going to do? Well, I want to be with a certain person. Well, I'm going to consider what God thinks about this and, you know, what God's words. We don't think like that. We're, before, if you're not in Christ, we don't consider Him in making our decisions. He has no real place in our life. We don't seek His will. We don't enter, He doesn't really enter into the equation of our decisions, right? That's, that's how it was. So the unbeliever doesn't have that Law in him as such in that way. As Christians, we sincerely want to surrender. I know. I know that's our heart's desire. We want to surrender completely to God. We want to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We want to view this world through his word. That's our worldview is from scripture. Whatever else the world is going to say, our worldview, how we understand the world, how we understand everything about this world comes from Scripture. Amen? And praise God. We want to live faithfully to Him. That is a principle. That is a law. That's what Paul wants to do. That's what he's saying as a Christian. But, and here's the rub, there's another principle at work. And it's also true of every single believer. And Paul says it right here. He says, so I find it to be a law when I want to do right. Evil lies close at hand. Right? It's right there. And almost all the time, every time. It's right there. It's knocking at the door and wants to come in. We want to stand strong and yet so easily we give on to our weaknesses, don't we? And we give in to sin. We want to be strong and yet we give in to our fear. We want to be strong and we give in to our lust. We want to be strong and we give in to our greed. We give in to our vanity. We give in to our pride. We give in to our anger. We give in to our resentment and we just let that take place. Take root in our hearts far too often, and so it goes, right? Day in and day out, progress then we regress, right? And we can talk about the um, process of sanctification: two steps up, one step back. Or is it one step up and two steps back? (laughs) Whatever, how that goes in the Christian life. You're content one day, but the next day you're coveting so badly that what you don't have. Why is that? You know, you're bold one moment. You're so bold for Christ, but the next moment you're backing down and you just keep your mouth shut. You're doing good for a long stretch of time with certain sins in your life. You're doing pretty well. And then, boom, there it is. It shows up and it's such your door. That's what Paul was talking about here. We want to do good. Be aware of this, Christian. This is our battle. It's not easy being a Christian and living faithfully. Satan does not want us to be fruitful for Christ. He's going to turn it up. He's going to bring those temptations before us. It's like I said earlier, if we get our eyes off of Jesus Christ, there's that victory for Satan, because then you are no good in the kingdom of God, right? That's why the battle is so important. It's not easy. There are no secret methods of fighting sin. There's no tricks, no quick path to overcoming as such. Sin is relentless. Sin is relentless. That's why he says, when I want to do good, evil is right at hand. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members, another law, waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of the sin that dwells in my members. So it's just a, it's it's a it is relentless, you know. In scripture, we, we we're told in Ephesians about the fiery arrows, the fiery darts that Satan sends out. So I think we have that passage. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. That's what Paul is telling us, with which you can extinguish all the flames, flaming darts of the evil one. So it's part of being having the armor of God being fully protected, being in Christ, concentrating on him, and he mentions having that shield of faith to 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 ward off the arrows and When we think about the fiery dart, sometimes you think about just that precise you know Satan's goddess there, it can be that, but really what it is, mainly it is a barrage of that's sin is relentless like that right it doesn't stop it's not going to take time out so if you think of braveheart remember that movie and they're all those guys are lined up hundreds hundreds are lined up and they're running back the arrow and fire just raining down and then the next and there's hardly a break at all and if you don't have that shield up there one moment just move it one millimeter and you're going to get nailed that's the idea it is relentless man it is there's no way to, to sugarcoat it. <laughs> wish we could say we get a break from sin, but we don't. I have an, an engaged couple. You could have a young, engaged couple who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who want to be faithful to Christ, and they're praying together. Now, they're holding hands while they're praying together to be pure, not to come into temptation. But while they're praying together, holding hands about not coming in temptation, they're coming into temptation. That's how it works, right? Right there, even praying to stay pure so, don't hold hands when you pray <laughs> so you won't come into temptation in that way if you're a young couple. Listen, the warring principle inside it is our desire to please God, to resist sin, but so often we fail to do so. And at times when we fail to do so, and it just builds up, doesn't You could see Paul. Listen, just listen to the emotion, the, the angst that's coming through. It's like I'm, the struggle that's there. It's there. If you're not struggling as a Christian in this way, then you better kind of find out where you're at because it is a struggle in this way. It truly is. If you're just, I'm fine, I'm great, I'm not, okay, then you need to come and talk to me. You need to see one of the elders because it is a struggle. Right? It's going on inside us. And you could see that just building up and that desperation. And Paul says, I here's what I want to do. I'm not doing it. I see this law. I see that working against me. What do I do? And he just comes to that point of desperation, frustration, and exasperation and cries out, oh, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Only a true Christian can really say that. If, if you're not a Christian, you're not going to say that you're a wretched person. You might, you might say, oh, I'm not the best of people. But you're not going to say, I'm a wretch before God. We just know that because of how we live. And he cries out because of that war going on and, and wretched man that I am. Why? Why does he say that? Because I know it's sin, what I'm doing. I know that it's sin. I Listen, you know, you know when you're sin, you know that it's wrong, right? You know that it's wrong. We we, we know that from the word of God. It teaches us right and wrong. What is sin and what is righteousness? I know that I'm going to regret When I do it, I know that people are going to be hurt by it, even if they don't know at that moment about that sin. I know that relationships will be damaged. I know the consequences. I know that I'm sinning against God, and yet. Right? That's what, that's a wretched man that I am. I know what the Bible teaches about encouraging one another. When we speak to each other, we should be encouraging. Paul says it. Let only that which is good for building up coming out of it doesn't mean we can't rebuke in a loving way it's not at all what he's saying but you know that we need to be encouraging one another and yet in your heart sometimes you just can't wait to say those words that you know are going to hurt that person even that person that you love so much and you're just going to cut him or cut her because you know that button that you're going to push by the very things you say why do we do that why this is why we know that the Bible says to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth. But for so many of us, lies just so come out so smoothly, you know, like we're telling the truth. We just lie. Why do we do that? We should rejoice when the Lord blesses other people. I should be rejoicing in your blessing that the Lord has given to you. And yet I find myself harboring resentment because I want what you have. That's the war that's going on. That's the nature of the battle in so many different ways. Now listen, and I want you to understand this. It is not that we're self-loathing, okay? We don't hate ourselves. We know who we are in Christ. It isn't a pity party. Oh, I'm such a terrible person. It's not like that. It's not like some of the monks in the old days, They, (laughs) middle ages, they would beat their bodies they would beat the flesh you know I'm going to beat the devil out of me and beat the sin out of me or, or wear these belts with spikes so they would feel the pain I'm going to kill the flesh you know Ugh. it's not that it's not self-loathing because we know we're loved by Christ it's more of a profound frustration and being perplexed you know why am I doing this what, what is happening I'm not living that's more of what it's like so we don't go around hating ourselves and this isn't about self-esteem our esteems in christ our identities in christ but it's not like just self-loathing it's that what am i doing why am i doing this i know that i'm forgiving yet i continue to sin i realize what's going on so he says <clears throat> who will deliver me who will rescue me who will set me free from this body of death from this burden from this law of sin and and he goes on to say, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So he sees that that battle going on. Paul uses that metaphor. Um the the body, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And there's a lot of controversy as to what that actually means, this body of death. But, listen, the Roman system they they really knew how to, to punish, I guess if you want to put it that way, the criminals. And it could be very cruel and unusual punishments that they would inflict upon criminals. You know, sometimes people want to say maybe why don't we do those kinds of things today? Well, that's another story. But, what they would do at times, and this is well documented, a criminal, sometimes their punishment would be to be buried alive. How many of you would like to be buried alive? Ah, that's one of my worst things. I'm kind of claustrophobic to begin with. But to be buried alive because of your crimes. They were also known in antiquity, a lot of history behind this, they would impale you, okay, with rods, just run those rods. And, and they would do that for the maximum amount of pain. Not, not just quick and easy deathly, you know, just in pain. So you would feel that pain and slowly. Of course, crucifixion. They pretty much perfected crucifixion. We know that for sure. Another thing that they would do, you probably didn't hear of this one too much, is they would get a burlap sack for some criminals. And they would sew a purse a crim- the the accused guy into this sack and they have a little opening at the top and just before they sowed that they would throw live animals in there with them how would you like that jackie snakes to be thrown in there with you that's what they did chickens dogs and then they would take you and throw you in the river that's a fact and then There's what Paul alludes to here. And there's some controversy if this was really, you know, I don't want to just say, oh, this is a common practice of of capital punishment. But there is some evidence to this. What they would do sometimes, if you were a, a, a criminal, if you murdered somebody, depending on the degree or whatever, the heinousness of the crime, they would take the corpse of that murdered victim and they would shackle it or tie it to the body of the murderer. Now. And Paul may be alluding to that—that that body of death. Now, can you imagine having a body there and just a dead body attached to you, right? And 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 petrified. Now, again, there's not too much evidence for this, but there was a poet, Virgil, 485, and I just want to read this. We gain some insight into heinous of practice of this practice from the poet Virgil, who described it in one of his poems. And he says this, The living and the dead at his command were coupled face to face and hand in hand till choked with stench in loath embrace tide the lingering wretches hind away and died. Shackled to his victims, eye to eye, hand to hand, waist to waist and foot to foot, the murderer, still very much alive, was forced to live out the remainder of his life the remainder of his life directly bearing the weight in the putrefying stench of the dead body. Okay. Paul's saying, Who's gonna deliver me from this body of death? The sin that just keeps battling and haunting me inside of me. Who is gonna deliver me from this body of death? Well, he answers his own question, amen, and praise God. He says, thanks be to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And there's the hope, and there's the answer. Christ has delivered us from the penalty of sin. Know this, Christian, that all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been taken care of on the cross of Christ. So amen, we live in that reality, and that is good news for us. Number two, he's delivered us from the power of sin. Now that's the struggle he's talking about right here. That is the struggle that we're engaged in. It doesn't have, we've talked about this through Romans 6. It doesn't have that same power. And yet, there is that battle with sin. One day, and I think Paul's looking like long range at this, one day we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. And that's our glorification. That's the day we look forward to. Amen. Praise God that we are free from sin. There is sin no more. He delivered us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and also from the very presence of sin. So we, along with Paul, look forward to that day when sin is no more. Amen. And praise God. But in the meantime, even now, while we're aware of this law, and I want you to be aware of that. The battle is real, and it's it's taxing, and it's trying, and it's every day, but it causes us to trust in Christ. It causes us to look to Christ and not to ourselves. It causes us to grow in Him. So even with the struggle of sin, we have our victory, and this begins in verse 8. I'm not going to preach this this morning because we're going to wait till next week, but I do want to read it. Paul says, Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. We'll stop right there because that's a big, that's like next week's sermon we're going to get ready for. But we, we are aware of that. So we keep battling and there's that hope because this is, this is hard stuff for us to, to, to be taking in. But it is the very truth. So we have much more to say on this. But for now, I do want you to be aware of that tension in which we lived in, but not to be overwhelmed by it because we have victory in Christ Jesus. Now, just as we come to the end of this message, I want to be very pastoral because this is tough stuff. It's like a, like when you go to the dentist, and he drills down on you, you know what I mean? And he's drilling down, and He's like, ah! And, you know, the no, novocaine's wearing off just a little bit, and you feel the pain, ah! Don't you love it when he says, okay, now spit. <laughs> you know, get that little rest. Shh, it goes out. That's kind of what this is right now, that little rest, and a little respite from this. Just a couple of things uh, to to fight the good fight as Christians, because we we are not to be discouraged by this. To mitigate sin and its effects i do want you to turn with me to almost a parallel passage in in some ways that's galatians chapter 5 galatians 5 and you're going to see paul talks about this these laws these principles and how we are to live as christians we'll again do a lot more next week but just for now look at uh, galatians 5 beginning in verse 16 paul says this But I say, walk by the Spirit. You'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. And here's the the principles. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do in terms of sin. That's, and we're tempted to sin in that way. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So, Here's the the admonition, here's the encouragement, is for us to continually in this battle while it's raging, that we are to look to, rely on, live by, yield control to, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, allow Him to exert His influence on you. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't resist Him. Embrace Him. Embrace, immerse yourself in His Word. Be bathed in prayer. Surround yourself with fellow believers where there is love, where there is accountability, where we have one another. Nobody can fight this fight alone. And it's not not just you and your honey, not you and your wife, not you and your husband. We need each other to fight this good fight. It's not just about you being in the word. Yes, you need to be. It's not just about you being on your knees. Yes, you need to be. But you need to be also Doing those things with other Christians. You need our accountability. You need our encouragement. Go ahead. Try to live the Christian life by yourself. You will, you will not stand. Even Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. He never sent anybody alone. We're never meant to fight this battle alone. And that's a big concern of mine. There's too many Christians, too many, too many followers of Christ that just try to fight this battle on their own. And they're not engaging with the body of christ we need each other we need to encourage each other we need to admonish each other we need to say no 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 you can't do that here's what we need to do here's what here's 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 how we have to encourage each other in this way that's what we need so badly so we need to be walking by the spirit and that's what that means and the promise is you won't gratify the desires of the flesh check it out He's not saying that there will not be desires of the flesh. He's just saying you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen? That battle is always going to be there. But they will never be totally eradicated, but they will be mitigated as we do these things. You won't succumb to them as much as we're in the Word. That's the promise here. Walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit is against the flesh. The battle is for real. The principles are set before us. And it's really nice here because now we see results of the flesh. Like what's that mean, results of the flesh? We're given into that. Well, look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are very evident. If you're a Christian, but you find yourself in sexual immorality. If you're a Christian, you find yourself in purity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Just the other day I was at Panera. There was a lady behind me with her tarot cards and this poor woman, she must have lost her son and she was begging, she was looking for some consolation and this woman said, well, I see this. And you could, you could hear her asking all the leading questions like, I sense, did he like sports? You know, to, you know, trying to get the questions so she can go from there, trying to offer consolation. She just could not do it. She couldn't do it. And I, I went to the restroom And when I was coming back, I was going to say something. I was going to say something. And they were gone. Bad. I should have said something before that. I was, you know, no, this isn't right. But that's another story. But this is the idea. This is the. These are the principles: sensual sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you of. See, that's when we're given into the flesh. But the spirit produces godliness. We know the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So. This is the idea. Does it mean that we're never going to sin or be totally free? No, not at all. But it does mean progress. It means that we are becoming who we are in Jesus Christ when we walk by the Spirit. So number one, walk by Spirit, man. Give yourself to Him. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to open up. Don't be afraid to come, come together as Christians. This is how we're meant to be. And the second thing I'll leave you with this is this, is simply run to Jesus Christ. We need rest. Because we're in a battle, and it's it's an ongoing, it's a relentless battle. We need rest. We need to run to Jesus Christ. We need to flee to his loving arms. Amen? Find your rest in Jesus Christ. Psalm 18.6 tells us this. Look. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his very temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Amen. In our distress, Lord, I'm coming to you. Yes, we go run to, run to the word, run to prayer. We run to, to the Lord to find that rest. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. Jeremiah 31:25. For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. See, we find our rest in him. Matthew eleven nineteen and 20, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The battle rages on, yet in Christ we find forgiveness But not only forgiveness, we do find victory over sin as we walk by the spirit. Not only victory over sin, but we find rest for our troubled souls as we lean into Christ. I can't tell you and admonish you on how important that is to run to Jesus Christ, to rest in him, to really lay your burdens down upon him. And in the midst of the battle, he refreshes us. You refresh my soul. He strengthens us. Because the battle is not going away. He gives us that peace in the midst of the trials. And that hope when we're feeling so overwhelmed. It's a battle. But listen. And I'm going to truly leave you with this. (laughs) For the third time. It's a battle. But it's one that we are privileged to be in. It's, It's one we are privileged to be in. Because he loved us enough to give his life for us and forgive us for our sins. So we fight that good fight with Christ. As hard as it gets at times, the many times we fail, give in, we are comforted by the fact that no matter how many times we stumble and fall, his forgiveness is vast and his love is unfailing. It's a privilege to be in this battle. Isaiah 43 1 through 3 says this, Fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as a ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. He is with us. He leads and guides and directs and strengthens us. He will not let us.